Hello everyone, welcome to Beyond the Adventure, a podcast exploring why people took on their own unique journeys and what they learned from their experiences. My name is Gareth Brown and thanks for listening. Today, I have my oldest friend, Elliot Massingham, joining me. After an initial catch-up following his wedding a few weeks ago, we talk about his experiences of working at summer camps in the US, the inner conflicts of understanding whether it was the right choice to continue going back for four years, and how he is now creating his own path within coaching and psychology. All right, mate, we are on. Hello. Yeah, how are things? Yeah, very good, thank you. This is the first time we've caught up since the wedding. Um, I know, six weeks later. Which seems any, crazy. Any regrets? Um, <laughs> the, the final bill at the end. Um, yeah, yeah, I can imagine. It was so wedding though, it was awesome. Yeah it was, yeah, it was good fun, I really enjoyed it. Have you started to plan anything yet in terms of the next few months or later um, in the year? Yeah, we've been we've been looking at a few bits. So um, we're, we've actually delayed our honeymoon um, our official honeymoon, should I say, until uh, probably early next year. Um, yeah. One one reason, just where we want to go, um, is is probably going to be better early next year in terms of weather wise. Um, and two, we've actually decided. I, I haven't told you this yet. Actually, we've decided to go back to uh, America uh, to visit camp um, one last time before our friends uh, who were over there and Americans they they run the camp. Um, yeah. they're, they're actually, you know, moving on to, to new pastures new. Um, Are they? Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is going to be the last time we, we kind of get to see them at camp and stuff. So, I mean, mm. it would have been it would have been fine to go back any other year, but, you know, you want to go and see the people who made it all happen and whatnot. So, um, yeah, we're, we're going to go back over there this year. So we've we've delayed the honeymoon to next year. So that's kind of what we've been we've been doing since the wedding is, is planning a few little trips. Um, yeah, apart, apart from that, not, not a lot, just... Um, just enjoying enjoying being married, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, three years of delays. Wow, come to, it came together. It came together though so well, and yeah, uh, it just goes so probably, fast. I mean, I'd imagine it goes. I'd imagine it goes fast for for most people. Um, but planning it for so for so long, um, and then you get to the day and it and it goes um so quickly. But you know, it was it, it was unforgettable. We've just got our photos through actually, so um. I know you requested a few, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get through those, and then we can we we've got a we've basically got a link I can send you, and we I can you can look through any ones you want, and you can take them and do whatever you want with them. So I wow, can over. So we've got Can't some photographs to look back on as well. That's going to be an absolute flurry of Instagram activity in the next few weeks, isn't there? From no, our I think, friends. I think we're going to be trending. I'm hoping for a trend. <laughs> you, need to, so you need to tell everyone there's like a dedicated hashtag. I know, yeah, I know we did think that just to clear a few photographs but um we didn't get around to it in the end but i could do that off the back of sending out this album just if anyone's yeah. got any ones that they want in particular we can uh yeah we can get an ellie elliot and philly i don't know i'm rubbish at hashtags i don't really do anything <laughs> i'm sorry i don't know we'll, you, yeah, you know that instagram are you i was gonna say no yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can you can you can sort that for me i think yeah yeah uh so yeah I, I mean we can technically cover 31 years of friendship on this podcast but we probably shouldn't because um 
yeah, I'm not sure global for a lot of people, and it could take a long time. So uh, yeah, I was going to say I'm not sure anyone's p- probably particularly interested in 31 years of friendship, and uh, <laughs> don't know how long this my battery is going to last. But um, it would have to, we'd have to be sat here for a good few hours, I think, to go through everything, wouldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but there's something you've touched on already, uh, which we can probably go into at the beginning, uh, and it's talking about camp in the US. To people listening, they might not really quite understand what we're talking about there. But um, can we all? Do you think that's almost a good place to start? Let's take it back to when you were kind of, I guess you would have been about twenty-one uh, when you made the decision to go out to camp. What had kind of, yeah, what had been your experience, your thinking, what was driving you in terms of the the last year or two before you finished up at uni to, to take on something like going to the US and working with people with intellectual disabilities and um, and at camp. Um. Wow. What a question. Um. <laughs> I don't. I, I couldn't pinpoint to this day where I suppose it it all started to snowball. Um, I know having spoke to yourself and you and I know you did it whilst we whilst we were at uni, um, and you really enjoyed it. Um, I think I always had in my head that I wanted to do something like that. Never quite anticipated that it would be a special needs camp. Um. It was it was a bit of a tick box exercise, actually. If I'm being completely honest, in in that when you sign up to camp leaders, you you know you go through the options of what camp you'd like to work at, yeah. and to give myself the best opportunity of of being employed, I I ticked every every box. Um, I was quite <laughs> open to doing anything really. Um, I just knew that I wanted to do it and uh, and and experience um and experience America, a summer camp in America. So that was, I suppose, where it all started. Conversations with you, um knowing deep down that I'd, I'd probably always wanted to do it. Um, not quite sure when, you know, was it going to be after college bet- in between uni? Um, didn't end up doing it then. Um, was it going to be during my summers at uni? Um, ended up getting, you know, various um, jobs over over the summers in between uni. Um, and, and that didn't materialise. So I knew I had my heart set on, on doing it once I graduated. Um, it's kind of a little you know, congratulations for finishing uni and I suppose just a little kind of next step in in life, really, um, closing that chapter of uni and then opening a potential new one. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that's that's kind of where it all began. And then, like I say, you go through the process and you get interviewed for camp and things like that. And then, it, you know, ended up materialising that I was going to go to a special needs camp in, uh, in New Hampshire. And, and yeah, I've, I suppose I've... I've not really looked back. Um, it's been, you know, it was it was fantastic, but um, yeah, it, it it wasn't so much a hard decision. I know some people maybe find the decision quite hard. I don't know if it was because I was a little bit older. You know, some people go when they're you know really young, eighteen, nineteen. Yeah, I, I was twenty one, going on twenty two, so I was a little bit more sure about what I wanted to do, and um, uh, and yeah, the decision was was quite an easy one in the end. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Do you think there's something in this, like when we were, because I feel like we had this idea of going to like the US for like a long time since we were like teenagers or whatever. I mean, I'd never been to the US before I went to camp. Had you, had you been before? Did you go to Florida once or something? Yeah, I went, um, me and um, my cousin and our families, we went to uh, Florida when we were really young. I was only seven. Um and our parents took us to Disneyland, which was, you know, yeah. a fantastic experience. Although, as a seven-year-old boy, I was up, I was frightened of absolutely everything. 
I was a terrible child. I'd hate to be, <laughs> I would hate to have a child like I was. I was terrible. I was, I was a lovely kid. I was, I wasn't naughty. I was, you know, I was happy go lucky, but I was petrified of everything. Um, oh, wow. So why they took me to Disneyland, I don't know. I don't know if I've really still got over it. If I'm honest, I'm still probably a little bit traumatized from the experience. But um, that was, yeah, that was my one and only experience of America. So yeah, why I chose to go back after that one experience, I don't know. But um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, a long time before. And things had changed massively since since I was seven, and then going back at, at 22. You know, talking um, a good number of years for for you know culture shifts and and. You know, just at, at, at a different point in my life. You know, I was I went as a boy, and I for the first time around a young boy, and then you know yeah. you're going back as a young man who's graduated uni, and all the all the differences that 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 brings with it. Um, yeah, I suppose I never really thought about that when it when it came to deciding to go back. It never really crossed my mind. It's an interesting point you make, actually. Yeah, I think it was more like to do with. I think when we were younger, we probably didn't go like that far compared to uh some other people like being from the kind of northeast it's not that common that you would go to lots of different places around the world we would stick with a classic costa del sol in spain or something <laughs> uh or, or, or more often than not blackpool but yeah, um, exactly. but but i felt like from a fairly young age we both had this like desire to just like it doesn't necessarily matter what it was as you said when you were like selecting the, the the, the form and ticking every box and just saying send me anywhere because whatever the experience is going to be I just want to take it but I wouldn't I wonder if that was born from us earlier you know it, it wasn't just something that was natural it was almost driven out of the fact of um, where we grew up and, and 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 some of the kind of traveling opportunities that was available to us at a certain time yeah it does make me think sometimes like what what were some of the drivers uh for people like me and you to just want to just get out there a bit more yeah it's um yeah it's a really interesting point you make and there's got to be some sort of social cultural um dynamic there hasn't there whether it whether it was subconscious potentially yeah whether you like you say we we weren't afforded the opportunities to travel the world at a young age um i'm really fortunate that i live in a part of the world now um where people are open-minded and and one of those one of those reasons is because they've probably seen a lot of the world. Um, they've experienced a lot of the world. Well-traveled, I suppose, is the right word, um, rather than open-minded. Because, you know, you know, just because you haven't traveled doesn't mean you're not open-minded by any stretch of yeah. the imagination. But, um, yeah, I suppose well-traveled is, is, is a good way to, to describe it. And, and I think our background and our... Um, um, upbringings uh were very very different to like say some of the upbringings of the people you that I'm, I'm around now and the people that we met in america and the all the different people you meet at the the summer camp and stuff um they're all from such different backgrounds social economic backgrounds um and i i think i think you know a lot of people might see you know where we come from as as a potential disadvantage for a lot of things, but I'm, I actually I'm really proud of where we come from and and where we've got to just because of that fact alone. And we've got that real grounded upbringing where we really appreciate everything we've been given in life. Um, for me to go to America, you know, for you to experience the things that you have yeah. in America and you know where you you're living now, and I think um, I think 
it really helps to to appreciate that when you come from where we come from. I mean, you know, we're not from, we're, we didn't live in, you know. <laughs> I know. For, the, for, the, for, Brit- for Britain, it kind of sounds okay, but for certain other territories. I, I know, that's uh, it, right? Yeah. It's, um, yeah, yeah. you know, we, we still had a very privileged upbringing. We had a roof over our heads. We had a meal on the table every night and stuff. Yeah. I'm not, you know, we, we didn't live in, in, in complete poverty like a, like a lot of people do. But yeah, I think we've had a real happy medium of where we've grown up and real that sort of working class upbringing of appreciating everything you've got and then and actually going out and utilizing that and utilizing those um values that we've been brought up on and um an experience in the world based upon yeah. those yeah. things so yeah it's it, it it's a really interesting point you make actually I've, I've never really thought about that potential subconscious driver of um of wanting to go and travel uh, because like I say we we potentially didn't do it as much when we were when we were younger it's interesting yeah i think it's also that um honestly until i was like i don't know how old probably 26 27 i i guess any new opportunity just sounded awesome if that makes sense like <laughs> uh, it didn't necessarily matter what it was it's because it was um because i hadn't really seen or met people that have done certain things before if it was new i would therefore just imagine it to be really good <laughs> it doesn't always yeah. be it doesn't always yeah. end up being that good <laughs> uh, yeah. but but the idea of um it kind of having uh, a limited kind of pool of people in terms of exposure and and travel and, and whatever else where we did grow up whenever you do hear of this new things whether it is like working abroad or uh working in areas that you hadn't really thought about before um, you just, I automatically, ha- it automatically, automatically inbuilt an excitement in me, which as you said, is, is such an advantage because like for a long time we could get excited about so much quite easily, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it. Um, yeah. And it's an interesting point you make. I think that's, um, I think that's a real good quality to have is almost like, like say that you know boiling back down to to what this podcast is about that that adventurous um having that adventure inside of you it's almost like that you know that small that small boy that's you know still inside of you somewhere that that is craving the adventure and uh relishes new opportunities and i think that stems from from childhood as well um and you know not everyone wants to travel not everyone you know wants to go around the world and absolutely you know no problems at all with that it's you know each to their own but um i think there is something that you know something that can be said about and going out and experiencing these things and like say sort of you know your mid um your 20s i suppose in as a whole it's probably a really good time to do that although you know you know i'm married now i'm getting a house and um future career and everything like that i still don't ever want to lose that that sort of adventurous um small boy that's you know um that that's still that inner child i suppose um that's still in there somewhere that still seeks adventure craves that that unknown and i still want to do that for the rest of my life no matter whether it's a summer camp in america or i'm just going and and traveling or going on holiday to to a new country i never i never want to lose that really and i know you're you're similar in that and um i think it's good quality to have yeah yeah exactly and um I want to talk a bit more about your time in the US because I kind of tried to bring this through a little bit when I did your speech and you gave me a funny look at first, but I hope you uh, <laughs> got, got the, uh, the the gist of it. But I really felt like 
you entered a kind of new phase of life when uh, you'd been through that first or second year in particular of um, of summer camp. I think lots of different factors looking from the outside in. You were in an environment with a lot of people that you all of a sudden cared a lot. Of, you cared a lot about. You you met your future wife uh, as a result yeah. of it, and um, and you also had exposure to working with lots and lots of different people uh, who have uh, intellectual disabilities. And as you said, uh, you were working with people from all around the world. Can you? Did you feel at the time like? things were changing or was it all a bit of a blur then you reflected on it afterwards right? what's your kind of thinking there in terms of what that meant to you at that point in your life um if i'm being brutally honest and i've never i suppose i've never really had this this chat open and honestly with people um even even i suppose philly um just to some respect but growing up um, through college, through uni, even as a child, I always kind of saw myself as quite, you know, quite mature, quite level-headed. Um, I knew what I wanted, and I knew, you know, who I was as a person, and and all that, all the rest of it. I really, honestly, on upon reflection, um, probably didn't um, until I probably went to America. I'd say, if I'm being completely honest, I probably maybe wasn't as mature as I thought. I was. Um, I maybe didn't realise who I was or what who I wanted to be. Um, I maybe didn't appreciate how. Um, what's the best way to say this? I didn't know what I wanted as much as I thought I did. Um, yeah. You know, I you know you have everything planned out at a certain age, and actually, I probably didn't really know what I wanted. Um, looking back upon it, and I think it's only upon reflection that I maybe realised that and. And obviously we went there for four summers and over those four summers, I grew as a person in, in, in different ways. Um, but I think that first summer, especially doing the work that we did, um, really, really hard, challenging, like you say, working with different people from different cultures who, who have different values themselves. Um, and then working with campers with special needs. And I know you, you, you know, you mentioned intellectual disabilities, but there was there was people with physical disabilities as well, yeah. and um, it was mentally and physically draining, and really really hard work. But I suppose that's where I found myself, and where I found the values that I um, that I wanted to live every day, um, and th- that's kind of stayed with me ever since that first year. And then over the over the you know the next three years, you know, we went for four summers, like I said, and each year I suppose I grew as a person differently I think um things like being able to work with new people and stuff that that developed and being in charge of people not in charge that's the wrong way to say it I suppose leading a cabin of of counselors um you know and it's not just you know it's not just leading a group of people in in any walk of life you know some of these people who you're leading for want of a better expression it was a joint effort wholeheartedly but you know some of these people that you're leading they're in charge of lives like they're in charge of making sure people are fed watered bathed um and you know you're overseeing that so that real high pressure environment and I think that's that's that really helped me um I don't think I was probably put under a high pressure environment until then until maybe the age of 21 
Um, you know, obviously you've got uni and all the rest of it, but this yeah, is... Yeah, cool I, know, I know exactly what you mean, though. Like the the dynamic of where you feel like you don't have enough staff and you're in this cabin and three people need to be washed yeah. and you've got another kid uh, or an adult that's, um, that's maybe having a panic attack or something. Mm. There's so much going on in this yeah. environment and it's uh and it's, you know, people, and it's difficult people, to people with, and you're not, and you're, not ne- you're not necessarily trained or equipped really like you're just you just need to be a a good person in that moment mm. and just try your best but yeah the pressure is pretty yeah. i still say it's one of the most difficult jobs i've ever done yeah like, i think it sure. is i think it probably um i think it probably will be in some aspects so like you know, I know, I know we're going to touch on it in a bit about the psychology side of things for me. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to get to a place in my career where I'm successful enough to, to be in a high pressure environment. Because I think yeah. that's a real privilege. I think if you're in a, you know, if you're under pressure, that, you know, it probably means people are relying on you and you've got to a point of privilege and, and, you, and you're doing quite well. Um, but there are certain things that I don't, that, that we went through in America you know, it makes me, it makes it sound traumatizing. It wasn't, it was fantastic, but there are certain things that we went through and we did. And those long days where I don't think I'll ever experience that sort of level of exhaustion ever again, no matter what, no matter what job I I get into or, you know, what level I I, I achieve in, in my my career, there are certain things that I just don't think will be, will be, um, will be rivaled from, from those experiences in America. And, And I think it's, you know, stood me in real good stead. I know, you know, you went to um, a similar, and you had a similar sort of experience, and you you're almost chucked in at the deep end. Um, you know, you yeah. get you go out there, you get a, a little bit of training. My training was fantastic, and I, I couldn't speak highly enough of the camp that I went to. They really prepared us as much as they possibly could. But you know, it's like it's like sparring with a partner, right? And then you get thrown in a boxing ring and punched in the face, and it's like, wow, this is this is crazy. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So different. Um, so yeah, they they prepared us as much as they could, but not. No, you know nothing can prepare you for that the day that you know your first camper walks up the hill and they can't talk they can't walk um you've got to feed them bathe them and everything so yeah um, yeah i think um those experiences were pivotal completely pivotal to the person i am now like I say the life the the life that i'm living now in terms of you know the values that i hold dear um the people who i'm friends with <laughs> like my social circle and everything is is most of most of it some of it has has come from those early experiences and when i was like 21 22 at camp yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense and is there any kind of stories that or camp because we're, there's such an emotional connection as well with a lot of the campers and yeah. um especially because you you're kind of living with them you're in such close quarters and um yeah you just create real genuine awesome friendships was there any that kind of stood out that just still stand with you today um in t- what in terms of relationships and friendships with campers or yeah yeah with campers yeah um yeah the, the you know the the obvious one is um camper called Brody um who's got Cornelia DeLang syndrome um CDLS for short which I'd imagine that for anyone who's potentially going to listen to this doesn't have a clue what it is because I didn't um so I had to do a bit of research on that and what it meant um for the person who I was going to be you know. I hate the word looking after because he was 18. So I hate the word looking after because he was a young man. I wasn't looking after him. Yeah. I, was, I was hanging out with him, I suppose. Um, but he was in my care. Um, so, you know, I've got to do a bit of research on that and speak to his parents and his sister and everything. Um, but yeah, that was, um, 
a real special experience and um, a real special friendship that we had from from the get go. Um, he couldn't walk. Uh, sorry, he could walk. He couldn't talk. Um, he um, verbalized minimally um, through murmurs and and little you know grunts and moans and things. You'd know when yeah. he was upset. You'd know when he was happy. Um, he'd sign a little bit. Um, but yeah, that our friendship kind of just—I don't know—it was a weird experience because we couldn't get to know each other verbally. I couldn't ask him, you know, does he like sport? You know, does he listen to yeah. music? I couldn't ask any of that. It was a case of just getting to know him, and it's just sharing friendly. moments together, almost. Yeah, that's like, it. Like, like you participate in something, or you, yeah, or you're, or you're sat there at the weekly disco, and you're just yeah. in that moment together. Yeah. yeah, it's really hard. Like it. It's almost taken for granted. Like every other friendship that I've got is is a friendship I've gotten to I've gotten to know people through asking them questions and them yeah. asking me questions and doing things together. Um, and I suppose it's really underestimated that friendship, and I, that almost makes it a little bit more special. I think the fact that we can't talk to each other because it's like a friendship on a different level. Um, yeah. And it was just yeah, strange things like he used to love going in the pool, but he couldn't tell me that. So we just had to figure that out. And then we'd both go in the pool and, and have a great time. And then that was like, I don't know, we didn't have to say anything to each other. Um, we just experienced it. And um, that yeah. was something really special about that, I think. Um, and I'm still really great friends with his dad and and pet and, and mum and, and, you know, wider family and his sister and everything like that. We're all still really close. Um, they're American, obviously, so we don't yeah. see them as much as we'd like to or even talk as much as we'd like to because of because of the time difference. But, um, you know, we I still think about them all the time and I know they still think about us and, and, and you know, would love to see us again soon. And so, yeah, that, you know, real special friendships off, off the back of the friendship that I had with, with, with that person, uh, with Brody as well. So, um, yeah, yeah that it. makes sense. And, and is that one of the kind of main drivers for, um, just you going back for four years, because it is a little bit uncommon, um, mm. to go back for, for, for so many summers, obviously you and Philly progressed really well there. You were taking on new different roles. Um, but, but life often to too many people, myself included, actually, like, kind of gets in the way our society tells us that we need to do other things so like yeah. after one year you do it for the summer you come back people are like okay time to get a job on to the next thing this is what the next stage of life was whereas you did an amazing thing in that you were using fillers you managed to couch surf around europe uh you did all sorts of other stuff but fundamentally you had this anchor point in the summers that you kind of knew that you were going to go back um yeah, what were the the main drivers, or, and yeah, how did you find that? And also, did you ever think about um, almost this reflection of like what society is trying to tell you to say, like, oh, okay, Elliot, you're coming in twenty four, twenty five, like you need to stop that now. Like, lots of different variables there, lots of different questions. But um, yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, it's really interesting that you asked that question because it's something that I battle with almost every day. Um, it's one of the main reflection points of my life. Um, did we go back too many times? Um, should we have moved on potentially to to something different? Um, like you say, society and pressure is telling you all the time that, you know, you're in your mid-20s now. Um, it's about time you got a grown-up job um, and, yeah. and become an adult. Um, but we just knew that we still had so much to give there. Um, we knew that we weren't finished on that chapter of our lives and like i said to you that 
this is a battle that I I almost have every you know I have almost every single day um in terms of again it's society um or a societal issue I think that we almost compare ourselves you know to other people too much and this is this is a battle I'm having with myself personally and I've had it for you know a good number of years and you know you know I've I've got friends who are really successful you know people like yourself there's other friends within our social circle who were who were really successful and I think you know if I'd have just done the one summer in America and maybe moved on to the psychology stuff that I'm doing now would I have been in in a position where I'm you know I'm thinking yeah you know what I'm I'm successful and um, in terms of career and things like that but um yeah I suppose it's it was a reflection at the time and and you know we did think long and hard about it and there was almost one summer I think it was our last summer I almost didn't go um because of this exact problem it almost got the better of me thinking yeah. you know what I, I need to move on I need to I need to go into my career and I need to you know do what I went to uni to train to do and um and I I just knew that I'd regret it I knew that I had so much more to give um in America and and that might seem hard for maybe some people to understand that you know I went for one summer and really enjoyed it and we're ready to close the book on that chapter and and you know hats off to people like that like I say there's no there's no right, right or wrong and um I know people who went for one summer and did a fantastic job. I know people who went for one summer and, and didn't enjoy it. I know people who went for six, seven, eight summers and, and you know, that yeah. was, they were happy with that and that was their lives. And, you know, that yeah, like say that their summer in America was their anchor point and they would do little jobs in between. And we knew that we'd, you know, we'd done the three and four summers and we were ready to close that chapter. But it wasn't until that last summer when we, you know, I felt like at the end of that summer, I'd made the right decision to do it for for the for the time period that we did for the four years that we did it. Um, after each year, after you know, after the first year, after the second year, third year, I still had that feeling of I've got something else to give next year, and I know yeah. that I can do a really good job. Um, you know, if I was going out there and going through the motions, I'd have known it was the right time to leave. And but even in that last summer, I give it absolutely everything and. Um, and worked so hard and loved it. And it, you know, it was, it was one of the best summers out of the four that I had. And, but we knew it was a different, very different feeling after that summer. And it was a case of right where we're now ready to, to move on to the next stage of our lives. You know, we were, um, we were not long after that. We weren't, uh, we were engaged not long after that. Sorry. Um, you know, we were moving um, into our own place. So it was, it was, it felt like a natural next step in our lives, but you know, it's, it's a great point you make around that whole societal pressure of, you know, you leave uni, you maybe go for a, you know, traveling for a year or two. And but I admire those people that you know um, follow their own path. And and I suppose yeah. that's what we that's what we did a little bit. And and yeah, like I say, you know, I, I reflect on it all the time. And would I be in a better position in terms of my career and things like that at this point if I'd have maybe done the one summer? Probably. Um, would I change it? No. Um, and there are lots of reasons for that. I'm not going to, you know, go into yeah. too much detail. There are lots of reasons why I, re I don't regret doing the four summers, um, you know, but some of the stuff that I've touched on is probably the the main points around that. And yeah, it, yeah, it's a battle I have every single day. And, and again, just being really honest, I've not really spoken to that many people about this. And yeah, it's a, it's a battle I have all the time of, you know, I compare myself to other people, which I know is wrong. Um, but it's, you know, it's I, I think... There's a little bit of human nature in that, and and it's a battle. Yeah, I have for every, sure, it's very human. I have every single day, so 
Yeah, it's um, it's a great question you ask. <laughs> and um, and and did also, I mean, you from when we were very very young, you always had uh, a natural ability um, to get groups together, to share advice, to to fundamentally lay the groundwork for being a coach. And then obviously, when you went across to the US and um there's a lot more in many ways different aspects to the kind of role that you're playing in somewhere like camp coaching is definitely uh one part of that but did you always know that you were, you were going to go into the kind of coaching area uh next and specifically kind of football coaching or or what was the thinking in terms of entering that okay now i'm gonna we're moving into our own place we know this our last summer i really commit to this next next phase next thing where where did coaching kind of come from you think and um and yeah what was the first step on your journey to just trying to get into that world because it's notoriously very difficult to just break into especially to the kind of sustain a living yeah um again i think probably all started in america um there's always been an interest there with sport um you know i've i've never excelled in terms of one particular sport so i've you know you get a lot of coaches that maybe excel in a sport like football and then they'll go on to coach afterwards that wasn't my journey um you know i was i was okay at a few sports but i was i never excelled in one um so i always used to love playing sport whether it be football tennis um you know i'm five foot eight but even basketball you know i don't, I don't yeah. i'll play i don't you know i don't mind that I just enjoy sport and being active. I used to love running and, and all the rest of it. So um, I've always had that passion for sport. Um, and I suppose kind of knew going to uni, um, even through college, that that something was was drawing me towards that industry. And I, I just wasn't quite sure where I'd fit in. Um, and even probably through uni, and, and even if I'm being completely honest, after I graduated, still didn't really know where I fitted into this industry. I knew I wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. I didn't know where I fitted in. Um, and that's a hard, I suppose that's a hard feeling to experience. Um, and I've always been jealous of those people that, you know, knew exactly what they wanted to do. And I've got to go and get this experience and I've got to go and get this qualification to do it. Um, my little brother's, you know, very much that sort of person, always wanted to be a journalist, uh, always wanted to work in, in sport and went and did that and now he's you know graduated and he's going to be going into that um in, as a future career and um and it's really hard to see people you know experience that and and um and for me not to quite know where I fitted in at you know at 21 still not quite sure where I fitted into this industry that I knew I wanted to be a part of so you know fast forward a few months and and, and I'm in America and a lot of what we did was obviously building relationships um with people and you know, especially those non-verbal campers, that's that's really hard to do. Um, and a lot of what we did was play sport and activities and, you know, we'd just talk if we could and um, we'd play games if we couldn't talk. And, um, and, yeah, I think that's where the foundations kind of started. And there's almost that, there's that, you know, um, golden zone, isn't there, of, you know, something that you feel like you're quite good at and something that, um, is going to make a difference and and potentially something that's going to appear as a career as well and um, and that's kind of where coaching all started for me I suppose and you know I'd done my basic level one just through a love of a love of the game and and playing the game and and wanting to be involved and and then that kind of 
you know, escalated, I suppose, in America and putting on activities and and coaching, you know, players over in over in England now and um in in football specifically, um is not easy because coaching's a very, very difficult profession. But yeah. you know, some of the stuff we had to do in America, I've got to put on a session for children and adults in between the age of seven years old and 60 years old and some of them <laughs> yeah. are in, some of them are in wheelchairs some of them can't talk to me some of them don't want to know who I am and what we're doing and and that's really really tough um to get those people engaged and I suppose building those skills at the time although I probably didn't realize it was you know paving the way for you know a potential career in coaching and 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 helping helping people um through sport because I've always said that I don't like to say I'm a I'm a football coach. I suppose I'm a I coach football, but I, you know I'm ultimately there to help develop people at the end of the day. And, and I, I think that's you know that all stems from probably that you know those experiences in America as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and how did you start to pave that way in coaching? Because it is notoriously difficult, like to just understand. How do I get into this? Like volunteering is obviously a certain aspect that's definitely going to go into just building up the experience. But yeah, what was the what was the approach to breaking into the industry? Yeah, it's it's a great point, and again, it's a battle I have with myself every day. It's like, is all this work going to pay off? And I suppose that's a big risk. Um, and you know, boiling back down to to the the um premise of this this podcast of of you know those life adventures, I think that's how I'd probably de- define adventure. It is a, it's a bit of a risk. And if it's not a little bit of a risk, it's, can it be classed as an adventure? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Um, But I suppose, yeah, I suppose that's how I'd define adventure really is, you know, there's got to be a, an element of risk taken in there. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why I'm, I'm delving into the psychology side of things is it's probably a little bit more stable as a, as a long-term career, but yeah, certainly coaching is very, um, difficult to get into and and it yeah it does start off as as a volunteer um and i've volunteered for a you know a, a long time whilst i worked in recruitment um you know working that office job again i think probably reiterated how much i didn't want to be part of that and that corporate yeah. lifestyle and and stuff and um it just wasn't for me and i think i wanted to do everything i could to eventually you know become a, a full-time coach um and that's, you know, where the, you know, speaking to people and, and I think you've got to back yourself almost, I suppose, like any industry, you know, that, you know, the, the, the work that you do and the job you're in, I think you've got to really back yourself in, in that it's very competitive, but, you know, if you can bring a, um, a, a unique selling point to the table, then, then you'd hope that if you can get in front of someone and, and speak to them and demonstrate what you can do, then, hopefully that that gets you in the door and that gets you a, a, an experience it gives you an opportunity and then it's up to you then to kind of stay in the door um you know there is an element of known people and networking and stuff but i think you can almost create your own look as well i think i think sometimes people are too quick within um well the coaching industry as as i know it because i've experienced it but i'd, I'd imagine other industries as well of Oh, you know, it's who you know. Um, I suppose there is, you know, there is probably a little element of that, but um, you can get to know people by speaking to them. It's not just a case of right. Well, this person knows the head of coaching at a football club, so they're going to get the job. Yeah. 
can you can you go and speak to some of these people? Can you go and speak to some of these heads of coaching or, you know, speak to fellow coaches? And, um, you know, I used to get I used to get um, teased from from work colleagues for for being on Twitter a lot. And, you know, they used to you know, used to say, oh, are you uh, are you on Twitter again? Are you, are you ever on Twitter? <laughs> they used to wind me up. But I, I always used to say that, you know, if it wasn't for social media and networking and talking to coaches on LinkedIn and Twitter and all the rest of it, then. I probably wouldn't be in the industry because that's how my first opportunity came about. I spoke to a guy on Twitter who said, yeah, come down to a session. And, and that's how it all began. And wow, yeah, look at that. Yeah. it's crazy. It's, I suppose there is, yeah, there is an element of, of knowing people. And, but I think, you know, you can go and get to know people. If I, you know, I, I didn't know anyone in the coaching industry before I got into it. And now I know loads of people, but that's through, that's through speaking to people. I think, that can almost be used as an excuse sometimes of it's who you know. So if you don't know anyone, then you're never going to get a job. Well, you can always go and introduce yourself, right? And go and speak to people. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah, I think that's how I kind of got in there. It's almost like bullying you where it's like there's a there's a door a little bit ajar. So I've kind of forced my way into it. And then it's up to you then to show your quality to kind of stay in the building. And um, Yeah. And you have to have a certain level of resilience for that. I mean, um, there's probably two things really that stand out for me. There's There's having the confidence in yourself, as you said, to, to really step up and, and put yourself out there in a, in a public manner. Um, there is having the resilience to know, okay, this is going to be, this probably isn't the opportunity I'm looking for, but it doesn't matter. I'm still going to continue down this route and, um, and see if there's another path from a different direction. And there's also an element of, um, uh, sometimes in life we go through kind of phases of like having imposter syndrome and stuff and, am I in the right place? Like, do yeah. I stack up against um, some of these other, other people? And I guess if you see like a head of, a head of an academy doing a session uh, at, a, at a Premier League club, mm. there's that element sometimes like, oh shit, like, <laughs> they really yeah. are like on, on it. Like, did you ever have, what were some of the moments when you were breaking in and, and started to working and start to seeing as well, like some of these very experienced coaches delivering their sessions and stuff? Did some of those feelings come up? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, it's football especially, but I think coaching in general is probably one of those industries where there are a lot of people who think they can do your job better than you do. Um, yeah. But, you know, was, 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 speaking of that, actually, I'm just going to jump in quickly, but was yeah. COVID almost a bit of a uh, an opportunity, almost parents staying away? <laughs> because... Yeah. Um, it was, you know, I'm, um i'm a huge especially now i've gone down the psychology route i'm a a huge believer that parents are integral to um to the development of of the players because ultimately you see them for a couple of hours a week right and parents see them for the rest of the time so i think they're integral but yeah there are definite elements there of um it's sometimes really good for the players to to not have that pressure of parents watching sessions. And there was times where, you know, we couldn't let players into facilities, um, parents, sorry, into facilities because of COVID and you just got the players and, and you could see concentration levels shoot through the roof because, you know, wow. they went over to parents for, you know, their approval. And um, I think there's, you know, there's certainly nothing wrong with that, you know, right. I'm, I remember being eight years old and I scored a goal and uh, although that was quite rare, but the, the, odd time, the, the odd time that I did score a goal when I was there, you know, I'd, I'd be looking over to, you know, parents and stuff yeah. to be like, oh, did they, were they watching? And 
you know, I get, I completely get it. But yeah, it, it, there was a different element. There was a different um, dynamic to just having the players, um, and I think some of that can be really, um, really special um, uh, periods for for their development. Um, so yeah, there's you know definitely part of that, and um, yeah, to go back to your your other point there around imposter syndrome and watching these incredible coaches work um yeah there is definite elements of like wow like i know nothing um <laughs> like i said like i said there around you know coaching's a, a crazy industry where everyone thinks they can do a better job than you at times yeah. um and it's not until you coach and you get into the crux of it and some of the theories behind it and I'm not one of these people that just goes out and coaches and is like, right, I did a great job and that's it. I like to, you know, look into sort of the theories of learning and, you know, if I understand how players of a certain age learn, then I'm going to understand how to coach them. And, you know, when you start delving into all that stuff and skill acquisition and um, pedagogy and, you know, all of that, sometimes people don't realise that all of that goes into your job and, and sometimes that can be sometimes a thankless task because a lot of it's got to be off your own back, right? And I'm happy to do it because I, I love to learn. But yeah, there is an element of I could potentially be doing all of this research and it, you know, it might not necessarily get me a promotion. It might not get me anywhere. Um, but again, that risk taken of I'm hoping that all this hard work pays off. And, and I, that sort of lifelong love of learning um, is something that I started in America, I suppose, and that, well, maybe before at uni, but yeah, yeah, yeah. developed in America and is, is kind of stuck with me ever since. But yeah, you, I think you do sometimes watch these guys and you think I'm a million miles away from that. Um, but you you take solace in the fact that they were probably in your shoes at one point as well. Um, you know, some coaches I've watched that, have, yeah, they've played professionally and, you know, they've gone on to coaching careers and stuff. But a lot of the coaches that I've, I've watched that have, have got to a really good level are, didn't have playing careers and and you that really helps because you know I'm I've never been a professional footballer but I'd like to think that I've got enough unique selling points and enough drive and enough willingness to to improve that I could hopefully get to a, a decent level you know I'm not saying I'm going <laughs> to manage in the Premier League one day but you know I'd like to think that I could pave a, a decent career from the psychology and coaching that I'm currently undergoing and um and and that all stems from you know watching these people that that didn't have playing careers, playing careers either. Um, so that's, you know, a massive confidence boost. Yeah. And the psychology element is really interesting because um, this probably kicked on a tiny bit later. I mean, fundamentally what you're saying is that even when you were doing your coaching, you were still experimenting, understanding the different theories that's going into increasing performance, um, understanding how individuals learn, but it's still not necessarily that common that um, a coach, despite probably actually understanding a lot of the different theories around coaching, but they don't necessarily do the overinvestment of doing like degrees in psychology and really expanding out into that field. So, so when did you know like, hey, I'm really going to double down on this and I'm, re- I'm going to really have that as my like secondary, if not, joint kind of proposition uh when i'm when i'm gonna think about my future career um there's probably a few things that helped make my mind up i think coaching's a fabulous industry um although i think you know i'm biased but i think it's severely underpaid for for the work that people put in um so there is an element of being really selfish and and 
and wanting to add strings to my bow and to become a qualified psychologist has probably got more legs in terms of a lifelong career um something I can probably do for the rest of my life I mean I could coach for the rest of my life um granted but I wanted to to become as well-rounded as I I could um and and psychology was something that I was always biased towards anyway um I always had an interest in it I you know we I did it as an A-level in college and really enjoyed it and and kind of kept that up through my own learning and research through uni. Um, and then afterwards, um, delving into it more as a, as a career. Um, and I just feel like, you know, there might be coaches out there, there might be psychologists out there who could potentially listen to this who say I'm completely wrong. <laughs> but I just feel like it has potentially more scope for, I think, a long-term career um than than maybe coaching does i think coaching sometimes can have a bit of a ceiling if you haven't played um like i said i, know I might sound a little bit contradictive in terms of what i just said because i'd like to think i could get to a good level of of coaching but um whether that's enough to support a house a family um children and all the rest of it um and what you know what i want to experience in in life then I'm not I'm not entirely sure. Um so I think for me the psychology stuff was almost complementary to of the coaching. I think it allows me to go into a a career that I'm going to love um and be passionate about and again very competitive especially within sport. Yeah. But I think it allows me to it allows me certain options and I think Ultimately, for me, it was a case of, like, say, doubling down and and thinking, right, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna explore this as a potential avenue again, taking a complete risk because I've had to go back and to uni and retrain, and you know, will will all of that pay off? And it's been a real hard slog over the last couple of years to to get back into that, you know, university lifestyle of becoming yeah, a student, academic writing and everything, yeah, and yeah, also like, fitting it in with a full time job, planning exactly, yeah. Effectively, three weddings. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, exactly right. That came at the worst possible time. It yeah. all came at once, but luckily, it's it. You know, it's hopefully going to pay off. And I think um, ultimate ambitions potentially moving forward is to is to work for myself and be my own boss. And I'd love I'd love to consult and you know work across multi sports and you know yeah. could be working with a rugby team one week and or, or for a certain period of time and then potentially you know working with a football team or a tennis player or a weightlifter or I'd love that I'd love that opportunity and um and I think psychology will hopefully should everything align and I work hard enough and 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 you know someone is is um kind enough to afford me the opportunity to to you know work with with many industry many um disciplines across many sports and that's kind of um my main driver of, of going back and retraining and there's it's not a case of me giving up coaching and just becoming a psychologist i think i'd like to still do both and yeah i am exploring that option as well there's a few people who i, I follow and um who i've i've touched base with before around you know dual careers and and how that looks i'm not entirely sure yet um you know, I'm seeking advice on all that stuff because, I, you know, I am still a student. I am still learning about the industry. So, you know, it's not a case of me having all the answers right now and 
and saying this is what it's going to be like for the next 40 years of my life and uh, you know it's certainly not um it's yeah it's it's an industry i've decided to delve into and and i think it just affords me some new exciting opportunities and and hopefully a you know a, a career that i'm going to be doing for you know for the rest of my work and life yeah and i think it's really exciting about the there's obviously scope to create some kind of hybrid of these skills and experiences uh, in the future. Like, um, like I have a, a coach that I sometimes go to more of a business slash life coach type 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 situation, and yeah. and he's he's carved a niche. Like what we did is uh, is kind of like outdoor coaching, but right. kind of one to one. So basically, we uh, went out to Chamonix. A few months ago, it's probably like April, I guess. Still some snow, but like not really, really cold. A nice. couple of days out there while camping, and then like do like two days of like just coaching, intense thinking. Was where am I at in my life? What what what's some of the key next steps? What are some things I want to learn? At I want to really reflect on and and think about. Um, what are some of my strengths? What are some of my weaknesses? Yeah, what are some of the big life questions I want to ask in the next one year, two year, five years, and stuff. Um, yeah, nice. and, and fundamentally he's kind of like he had a similar journey where he's coming at it from a couple of different angles like i bloody love the outdoors yeah <laughs> like yeah. uh I, I i couldn't imagine my life without it and i didn't and i just wish more people would get exposure to being in the outdoors and and, and getting a chance to go walking or hiking or, or just get out into the mountains or just sleep under the stars now and again um, yeah. But at the same time, I really lo- love the idea of uh, of psychology and, and, and mm. coaching in a kind of um, life coaching perspective. Sounds like it sounds like he just likes to help people, right? Yeah, and 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 basically, he's like found this his, his way, and it's not like he still needs to do other kind of aspects of uh, within his career. But fundamentally, he's kind of looking at it um, this hybrid of skill sets, which is something that mm. depending on whatever route you go down next. But because you've got these different strings to your bow it's going to be in a very exciting time of how they'll all come together and play a different part of what you'll be in the future and what you'll, um, what you'll do as a, as a career. So it's very exciting. Yeah. It's, um, and again, just, uh, I'm just thinking while you're talking there um, around that, uh, it, it, that word exciting, and that's what it is. Like I'm really excited. Absolutely. It's also just nice just to get those thoughts out there sometimes, you know? Uh, and it's, um, like I said, we're still at this point where, it can be very exciting about what comes next. It is daunting when you don't know what some of the next steps are, but um, but you've kind of made a made some very very solid, amazing life changing decisions by utilizing your gut instinct a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, in the last kind of ten years, like I know this kind of feels right for me right now to to go back or to do this next or to uh, take on this little adventure here. Uh, so, so why 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 break that? <laughs> you know, yeah, I suppose like it. again, like you know, I might reflect in ten years time when I'm when I'm forty years old and think, well, maybe I'd have done that differently when I was thirty. But yeah. at the time, it felt right. And there's, I think, there's a lot to be said around, you know, f- you know, following your you got instinct. You know, in the present moment, it f- feels like the right thing to do. So I'm just I'm I'm kind of going with it a little bit. Yeah, amazing. Well, mate. That was awesome. Thank you so much for uh, for jumping jumping in and, and having a good chat with me. It's, it's been a pleasure, and I know how busy your last kind of couple of months have been. Yeah, <laughs> so no, uh, it's been it's been class. So should we close it out there and um, we finish our beers separately, and then we um, 
we uh yeah we chat some other shit <laughs> yeah that's good stuff that people don't want to hear about <laughs> all right well thank you so much mate and i will speak to you soon yeah thanks guys i appreciate you asking me on thanks very much cheers mate Thank you for listening, everyone. Beyond the Adventure is available on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit beyondtheadventure.com for all the relevant links. If you get a moment, please share with your friends and family. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to come onto the podcast, please reach out to me either by email on gareth at beyondtheadventure.com through the website of beyondtheadventure.com or reach out via my personal social media. My handles across Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn are all Gareth Brown UK. Thanks again everyone and bye for now.